Hey, everybody, before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about my weekly newsletter, Build Something Weekly, which you can sign up for over at howibuilt.it slash subscribe. It will give you news, updates, and insights from me personally on things that are going on around the small business, WordPress, and podcasting community. And you'll also get the latest content I've written, as well as takeaways from the latest episode. So if you're wondering, hey, I didn't get to listen to last week's episode, what's the gist? Build Something Weekly is for you. Go ahead and sign up for Build Something Weekly over at howibuilt.it slash subscribe. Okay, so let's get on with this show. Today's episode is brought to you by Yes Please Coffee, iThemes, and Text Expander. And I have a confession to make that won't be much of a confession once you start listening to the episode. I am a big fan of David Sparks. I was a little bit starstruck talking to him. He is a professional podcaster. He runs Mac Power Users or hosts Mac Power Users, which has been a uh, going for 10 years. I think he does great work in several different areas, and I'm uh, excited to talk to him about how he does it. We also both happen to be big fans of Disney and Star Wars. When we spoke, he was just coming off his first ever sabbatical, so we'll get into that and how it went, as well as how he manages to put out what must be dozens of hours of field guides per year while also running a law practice. So we'll get into all that, but first, a word from our first sponsor, Yes Please Coffee. This episode is brought to you by Yes Please Coffee. Upgrade your morning with Yes Please. This fantastic coffee subscription will send freshly roasted beans to your door with no fuss. Pick your size and how often you need beans and they'll ship you a unique blend of expertly sourced and roasted coffee beans. I've been drinking Yes Please Coffee for a few weeks now and I have been loving it. Each week I get to try a new blend of flavors that helps me mix up my mornings. And the best part is I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to go to some new roasters website, look at all the flavors, wonder if I'm actually going to like it or not, and then finally order. Every week, Yes Please just sends me coffee and it's new and different and delicious. Each shipment even comes with an info card about the beans and some other information like reading lists and extra stuff that I just enjoy getting in the mail with my coffee. So if you're ready to upgrade your mornings with unique blends of coffee beans, sign up today. Head over to howibuilt.it slash yes and use the code H-I-B-I for $5 off your subscription. And don't worry, if you're going on vacation or you have a little too much some weeks, you can skip shipments or cancel anytime. Again, upgrade your mornings with coffee, great coffee, from Yes Please at howibuilt.it slash yes and use the code H-I-B-I for $5 off. Fantastic, delicious coffee beans shipped right to you. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? I am very excited today to bring you our guest. His name is David Sparks. He is the chief broom pusher at Sparky Media. Uh, You might know him from Mac Power Users, Focused, or one of his many field guides. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining me. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Likewise. Uh, so I've been, I'm, I might like fanboy a little bit. Uh, I've been following your work for a long time. Um, I actually discovered you on the Automators podcast first and then moved over to Mac Power Users. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I've been a, I, I don't know if evangelist is the right word, but I've been telling all of my friends about the wonders of uh, automating and making a one man shop into a seemingly a multi person organization. So it's been a lot of fun listening to you and, and Rosemary Orchard talk about that stuff. Amen, brother. Yeah. Um, and then also, before I ask you your first question, I know that you are also a pen nerd. I am a big fan of the Pen Addict podcast. And uh, I thought I'd share with you that the pen I'm using to take notes today is the uh, Platinum 3776, which is a uh, fancy fountain I, pen. <laughs> that's my favorite. Now, what is, what's your nib? Uh, it is a fine nib on this one. Uh, I 
go back and forth between fine and medium, depending on the manufacturer. Yeah, I am not as crazy about pins as Mike is over in Pin Attic. But mm-hmm. the, uh, I'll tell you, when I found the Platinum 3776, I just love how it writes on nice paper. And I eventually got one with a broad nib and an architect grind. And that is like my pin. I just love the feel of it. Nice. I've been thinking about doing an architect grind, but I, I haven't felt adventurous enough to do it yet. <laughs> Yeah, well, one of these days. Yeah, but get, get a broad enough nib to get the uh, you know to get the um, benefit of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, awesome. There we go. Yeah, We're doing a pin show now together, Joe. Let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, I've had both Mike and Brad on the show, so I, I hope they don't. Uh, I hope they don't view the competition. Um, yeah. So before we get into uh, all things creating field guides and online courses, uh, why don't you tell everybody uh, a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. I am a, uh, I'm a nerd. I have been my whole life and I have a particular love for Apple products. I think it's, it really goes back to the original Mac. I was the right age when that computer came out and the graphical user interface, I had been working command line on, you know, Apple twos and other computers and I just loved the Mac. So I've, I've always had this appreciation for it and, it's just a great thing. And Apple has had such a great run the last, you know, 20 years or so. It's been real fun. And so I started out, um, I'm a lawyer too. I'm a business attorney. So I started out writing articles for some of my friends that had business law websites. And that kind of morphed into something. And then eventually somebody said, well, you need to have a website if you're going to give us these articles so we can have a link. So then I made MaxSparky.com and and that turned into really, really, I don't really write for lawyers. I just kind of write for anybody who wants to be productive. And so that turned into something and then that turned into podcasts. And then that turned into, I did a couple books for Wiley Press. And then, you know, just the whole system just kind of grew organically. And now I've got this thing where I make some podcasts. I have a blog and I, I publish field guides. So it's, it's really a, uh, a joy, a completely unexpected joy in my life. That's a big fan of your work. I think that, um, you know, uh, everything that you write about, again, over on Max Sparky and and your various podcasts has helped me become more productive. Uh, I can say that for sure. Um, Now, uh, you do produce a bunch of, of field guides, uh, and I do want to talk about that. But as we record this, you recently took a week-long sabbatical. And I wanted to talk about that because a lot of people who listen to the show are uh, small business owners and maybe freelancers, people who feel like they can't take uh, any extended amount of time off because everything will uh, go down in flames. So uh, I was wondering, and we can point people to you know your other properties where you actually talk in depth about this, but how did the sabbatical go? Yeah. Um, so we had on the Focus podcast, Sean McCabe came out and Sean is the sabbatical guy. You know, he takes every seventh week off and every seventh year off. And it just inspired me because I was feeling really stretched out at the time. I had just released another field guide and I was really busy still with the law practice and the other stuff I'm doing. And I just felt like I was stretched out. So I decided to commit on the show to take a one week sabbatical. And I did that like seven weeks before I was going to actually take it with a thought, well, uh, you know, I'll figure it out. You, you know how past you always screws over <laughs> present you. Yes. Right. So I did try and figure it out. But, you know, as we got closer, I realized how on earth am I going to do this? I got legal clients that sometimes have emergencies and need my help. I am a solo attorney. I, I don't no longer practice with a firm. So I don't have other people I can just push work onto. And so it was, um, it was not a entirely, it wasn't a pure sabbatical in the sense that I didn't entirely shut the world out for a week, but I did manage to have a week that was much less busy than most weeks for me and a lot of downtime, which for a small business person is critical, right? So, uh, so it turned out good, uh, but it wasn't the world's greatest sabbatical if you judge it on, you know, the, you know, abandon the world and hide in a cave for a week theory. Yeah, absolutely. And and I uh, 
you know, I'm feeling the same way. The last time I took a, a bunch of time off was for my honeymoon. We went to Italy. I didn't even bring my computer with me, which was like a big deal. Um, but I was working for an agency at the time. So it uh, it was a bit easier. I had coworkers to voice to work on too. And my freelance stuff, I hired my friend to handle any emergencies. But um, now as we record this, my son is uh, 10, 10 days old. Seven, yeah. something like that. And I was like, I'm going to take the whole month off. And uh, that went to heck pretty quickly because I have a, a couple of big deadlines for the end of the month with a book I'm writing and a course I'm recording. So um, it's hard, but I think I I want to make a concerted effort to try to do that. That's why I got into self-employment. Yeah, with a new baby, your next sabbatical will be in about 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Though my three year old daughter uh, has been helping where she could, which is which is fun to watch. Yeah, big uh, sisters are the best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, awesome. So you mentioned that you had just finished up a big field guide, and and that's the main reason I reached out to you today. Because uh, again, I'm a big fan of your field guides. Your OmniFocus field guide is the thing that helped me use OmniFocus properly. Um, and this whole season of uh, my podcast is focused on content creation, making money through your content, and attracting um, a bigger audience because of your content. And so, first, I want to ask, how did you get into the field guides uh, at all? You know, you were a, you were a, a log, you're still a lawyer, um, and and what made you want to to kind of pivot and do tech based online courses? Well, I was already, you know, like I said earlier, I already had a, a, a podcast and, and Mac Power Users is my biggest podcast. There's a substantial audience with that show. And then um, I was, I had, had Max Sparky running and it all started with a, a plane delay. I was, I had, I had spoke in Chicago at the, um, at the American Bar Association has what they call a tech show. It's all the legal nerds get together. And I, I've been a speaker at that many times. And one year I was there and I got on the airplane, the airplane got stuck on the runway. And for some reason, just sitting there with a blank piece of paper, I started thinking, huh, maybe I should just write a book. And so I started outlining a book and in a four hours of sitting on the runway, I outlined the whole book. And then I started reaching out to publishers and ultimately made a deal with Wiley Press. And I wrote the Mac at work and iPad at work books. And this is like, oh, I don't know, man, seven, eight years ago. This is a long time ago. But for a while, I had books in the, you know, Barnes and Noble. You'd go and you'd yeah. see my book on the shelf, which was kind of cool. But I also didn't like the lack of, the, well, there's two things, really. I didn't like the lack of control of working through a publisher. Like, I had, I have kind of a quirky voice in my podcasting and writing. And they're like, you can't put that stuff in a book. You know, <laughs> I kept hearing that, you know. Yeah. And, um, and I also didn't like the monetary value. I mean, these big companies tech publishers are really, you know, they don't treat you like JK Rowling. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? And uh, so I decided, you know what, what if I did this on my own? And I had this idea of field guides, you know, and uh, for some reason I just liked the concept of it. Even when I was a little kid, I think I had a bird field guide and a camping field guide and I, I just loved the idea of it. So I just said, well, what if I had tech field guides? So I came up with the idea and the first one I did was paperless, which released in 2012. And I, at that point, I was still writing books. So they, but I had adapted to the Apple iBooks author platform, and that was new back then. And it was a, a ebook platform that allowed you to embed video. You know, so I, I really wanted something where I could do sample video. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the problem with like the books I did for Wiley was like, I want to explain how to do something technical on your mm -hmm. Mac. And they would say, okay, you get three screenshots. And I'm like, how am I going to do this with three screenshots? You know, because there's limited space in printing and all this stuff. So yeah. when I went over to the Apple iBooks platform, I could just make a video and show you how to do it. So that made it so much easier. Yeah. But I over the years. Oh, I was going to say, absolutely, that that makes perfect sense. I'm actually writing a an HTML and CSS visual quick start. I finished all the words, and uh, we've allocated space for uh, a web edition, which includes videos, and, and that really allows me to, like, show them, like, uh, CSS transitions instead of trying to, like, describe them with words, which is super helpful. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it makes all the difference yeah. for the user. And so then, I, so I did that for years. I made several books in the Apple iBooks platform. I was very happy with the relationship with iBooks. They treat you much better than a traditional publisher. And, you know, just I was in control of it and I could use my voice and it was all great. Uh, but Apple kind of slowly started giving up on the iBooks platform. There really wasn't anything else out there like it. And I started to realize that video was so good that I was then banging my head. And in the Apple iBook store, they had a two gigabyte limit mm. for anything you publish, which you know equates to maybe an hour and a half of video or so, yeah. right? And even when you start compressing it down, that's about as much as you could get in. So every book, in fact, one of the people at Apple told me that I was like one of their test platforms because my books were always like 1.9998 gigabyte. You know, <laughs> I would literally like work to the limit. And yeah. I, every book I end up cutting videos out because I couldn't get them to squeeze in. Yeah. But wow. I didn't really like that. And I realized that more than the words, people need the videos for the stuff I do. So I decided I wanted to go to an entirely video platform for the field guides. And I did that about two and a half years ago. I switched over to Teachable. That's my platform now. And now my books, or they're not books anymore, my video field guides are massive. You know, it's like the the OmniFocus one you talked about, I think is about five and a half hours. I just did one on photos and it's six hours. So I'm able to just, you know, just pour it on and it's great. So it's been an evolution. And the answer, the long answer to your question is, it just kind of evolved. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I, I, I love that journey because... Um, I think I'm I'm in a very similar boat. I think uh, another reason I wanted to reach out to you is because uh, I've written a few books. It's it's very rewarding to see your name on a bookshelf, uh, even if a lot of people aren't going to bookstores right now. Um, but uh, I've also really pivoted into videos, and my editor told me this time around that he can kind of tell that I write more for video than for books. You know, he like just ripped my drafts of the of the chapters to shreds, but he's a lot more lenient on the videos I'm making. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, honestly, too, that's what people want. I mean, if you're looking at this from a commerce standpoint, I raised the price when I made them video. Mm-hmm. Nobody really complained. And, you know, I think people want videos more than they want books. And it is weird. I do hear from folks occasionally that complain to me, like, how come you're not writing books anymore? I just want the books. I don't want the videos. But that's very rare. And uh, the email I get much more often is, you know, thank goodness, you know, you're all a video now. This makes so much more sense. And then, you know, the trick to being the publisher is to make it friendly for your user and don't make a user hostile experience and, you know, make it as good as possible for them. You've always got, I feel like with every field guide I release, I'm kind of on this, I'm on trial with my customers. You know, people who bought from me from years, they buy from me because they trust what I'm going to make, that I'm going to do it right, you know. And and uh, if I do it right, I get the privilege of making another one. If I do it wrong, nobody's going to buy the next one. So I got to get it right every time, yeah. I think Walt Disney had some quote about that once about, you know, we make the movies so we can make more movies. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way about the field guides. Yeah, absolutely. And now, and I mean, now you're speaking to me again. I'm, I love Walt Disney uh, and Disney World in general. Um, so I'm on the East Coast. I'm a Disney World guy. I, I think you're on, you're in California, right? So you're a Disneyland guy. Yeah, you're a little misguided, Joe, but <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you a hard time about it. I, I will say my brother Robbie is a cast member at Walt Disney World, but he, uh, I think he wants to be the next like Walt Disney biographer, like write a, bio- a biography of Walt Disney. So he loves Disneyland a lot more than Disney World because like that's where Walt walked, right? And his office yeah. was supposed to be there. Yeah. So um, yeah. I do like the convenience of park hopping at Disneyland more than Disney World. Oh yeah, Disney <laughs> World is like an hour. This episode is brought to you by iThemes. Did you know that 60% of website breaches occur because a vulnerability could have been patched but wasn't? That means having software with known vulnerabilities installed on your site gives hackers the blueprint they need to take over your site. Every day, it gets harder and harder to keep track of every disclosed WordPress vulnerability. You have to compare that list to your plugins and themes, 
by version and make sure you're constantly updating. To solve this problem, the iThemes Security Pro plugin created a better way to protect your sites against software vulnerabilities, the number one culprit of WordPress sites. The new improved WordPress security site scan powered by iThemes performs automatic checks for known website vulnerabilities and automatically applies available fixes so you don't have to. Whew. That's some peace of mind. And I could speak personally to this because as somebody who has repaired hacked websites, I know that it could be costly and dangerous to lose information, especially when it's personally identifiable. So iTheme Security Pro also includes a ton of other features to help you keep the bad guys out. Brute force protection, two-factor authentication, passwordless logins, and compromised password protection. Plus a whole lot more to keep you safe. If you want to start securing your sites today, head over to howibuilt.it slash iThemes to get the best WordPress security plugin to secure and protect WordPress. iThemes is giving How I Built It listeners a 20% discount by using the code HowIBuiltIt at checkout. Again, that's HowIBuilt.it slash iThemes. That's HowIBuilt.it slash I-T-H-E-M-E-S. And use the code HowIBuiltIt at checkout for 20% off. And now, back to the show. So you made this transition to, to videos with the field guides. You have a lot. They're mostly around... Um, Apple products or products that you'll find on uh, Apple platforms. How do you decide uh, what field guides to make? Uh, you know, I'd like to say I have a, a crack marketing team, but I don't. I just, <laughs> um, I look at things that are interesting to me that I think people need help with. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of my greatest, you know, research venues is the podcasts I make because I hear from listeners all the time asking questions about stuff. So that does kind of help me get a, an idea of the temperature. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and it's stuff that I'm passionate about, stuff that I think I can, I have, I can provide a solution to. Like uh, OmniFocus is a good example. It's a, a very high-end task manager app. And there's a bunch of them. I tried them all. Every year I try them all, I think. <laughs> but I always come back to OmniFocus. Yeah. And the reason I made a field guide on OmniFocus is because I understand it. I have a theory about how to use it and I wanted to share it. Uh, I didn't make one on other competing apps because I don't feel passionate about them to make one, you know, so it has to be something that I'm, I'm invested in and then something that I can legitimately sit down and make, you know, four to six hours of video content on. Yeah. I, I, and I think, you know, if, if those of you listening, if you're wondering what you should make a course about being passionate is so important, right? I, I tried to make like a, a course on how to build a business website with WordPress and I was just like, yawn, like, I don't feel like doing this. And I ended up, scrapping the project but um if you're going to do it right like you said david you know four to six hours of content you got to be committed to it yeah so agreed yeah yeah um so your your process what's your process like when you um do you usually well let me let me put it this way right it's it's something that you're passionate about so i suspect it's it's a tool you're already using or have you ever thought this this is something I'm interested in. I don't know it yet. So let me learn it to make a field guide. Um, sometimes I'll think about interesting products. Like a good example is um, a future title. I'm, I'm not working on it right now, but it's going to be out at some point. And it's this app called DevonThink. And mm-hmm. DevonThink is an app that you can, a lot of like research scientists use. It's got artificial intelligence. It can look at PDF documents and draw lines you might not otherwise see. It's just, it's a really interesting app, but it never really scratched the itch for me. And then just recently they released this version three that like is really nice to use. And it's kind of beautiful user interface. And they added a bunch of automation tools to it. And so I, I downloaded it and started goofing with it. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I really like this. And I realized there's some stuff I could use it for my life. And I used it for two or three months and I'm like, Oh, okay there's a bunch of problems I have solved using this app of ways and hacks to use it that people may not have think about. Maybe I have something to say here. So then I think about, well, is this something where I'll just make a couple of YouTube videos sharing a couple of these tricks I do? Or is this something where 
no, I could really do a soup to nuts field guide on it. And I've just kind of come to the conclusion recently, I think Devin Think probably needs a field guide. And that's kind of the thought process. It's not that I say, oh, that's a good one. I'll make a field guide on it and go learn it. It's kind of the inverse. I learn it for my own use. And then if I feel like I'm doing enough with it that I could add something to the conversation, then I'll make a field guide. Gotcha, gotcha. And I know, uh, I suspect at least with Devin Think, perhaps your has your co-host influenced you a little bit? Uh, I know that Stephen Hackett has been using it uh, and he's mentioned it on a few of his own podcasts. Well, I mean, just the fact that other <laughs> friends are using it, yeah. that probably helped me get to start using it. But really, it just comes down to like, can I add something to this or not? Yeah. And it has to be meaty enough to merit a field guide, you know? Yeah, like yeah, there's, sure. there's There's an app out there, Better Touch Tool, which is a, Mac app that allows you to do crazy stuff with your trackpad. And I've thought about doing a field guide in that, but I haven't really done because I'm not sure there's enough meat on the bones, you know? So we'll see. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then once you decide you're going to make a field guide, where do you start? You, do you start with pen and paper? Do you start with like a mind mapping app? What's that process look like? Yeah. Gen- generally, MindNode is a mind mapping app I use all the time. Um, and it kind of actually depends. I was just talking to a friend about this recently. Um, it depends on the nature of the material. Like when I did the one on the photos app, I did it via mind map. Yes, I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to fit together. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I needed to just kind of put all the words on the screen and start pushing around with my finger to you know figure out what what fit. And I had a bunch of challenges in that one trying to figure out. Well, do I cover the Mac and the iPhone and the iPad and how do I organize them? And, and the mind map kind of helped me sort that out. Now, the one I'm currently working on is I'm going back to the beginning, the original paperless field guy, making a whole new edition of that. And I, while a lot has changed, the underlying structure of it hasn't in this sense that I, I feel, feel like a paperless workflow is number one, you have to capture paper. Number two, you have to organize it. Number three, you have to edit it. Number four, you have to share it. So I knew the big four points. So that's if you're going to buy the next field guide, guys. That's the, that's the organization. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> so I knew it going in. That was it. So um, so I just made an outline for that one because I didn't I didn't need the kind of like open sky stuff you get with a mind map. I I, I knew the general outline, but all the stuff on the inside of those four points was what I had to rework. Gotcha. And and this is really interesting, right? Because I think um, a lot of people, I'm going to just generalize here, but <laughs> I think a, a lot of people, um, when they create educational content, they don't necessarily look at, you know, it's called like the the pedagogical aspect of it, right? Like, how is your learner going to learn? Uh, and this goes for, for the same for people who are like, I can just learn on YouTube, right? But you don't get structure on YouTube. Um, you just get a bunch of uh, videos, right? That are kind of yeah. discreet. Um, so when when you are putting together right that outline or that mind map, uh, well, I guess the outline more than the mind map. Um, how do you approach it? How do you how do you think about the learner's journey as you're putting that together? Well, just just like I said, I, I want I I look at everything I produce as Max Sparky as something with a slow on-ramp that climbs high. You know, I, every episode of Mac Power Users in an ideal world is designed this way, mm-hmm. where if you start this material and you don't know anything about the subject, I'm going to go slow enough at the beginning for you to get ramped up. You know, it's like, have you ever read a programming book? Programming books are <laughs> terrible about starting you yeah. at, you know, 70 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. They don't, they never get to the 10 to 20 miles an hour stuff. And 70 miles an hour is great once you're going 70 miles an hour, but first you got to get there, right? So, so I just try to like, I like to put a nice slow on ramp to get people up to speed. And then I do like to put the 70 mile an hour stuff in there too, but only after we get to it. So um, everything I des- decide is kind of built that way. Like if you look at uh, this morning, I was shooting video for paperless and there's like a section in there where, I do one video on the basics of folder organization and how to create folders. You know, that's something you need when you have a paperless system. But the video right after that 
is automating, taking everything you learned in the prior video and now let's automate it. And it's like all the different tools. And it's like, if I just started with that second video, a bunch of people would get left in the cold. You know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't know, they wouldn't understand. But because of the way I structure it in, in a perfect world, anybody can watch those two videos in order and go from zero to a hundred um, and be using those power tools because they learned the basics too. I think I'm kind of rambling. I'm sorry, Joe. No, no, not at all. That I, that makes perfect sense. And as somebody who teaches programming and has written programming books, I am, I try to be just so cognizant of that, right? Like, cause I, Again, you know, a lot of programmers or a lot of WordPress people, I'm in the WordPress space a lot, and they're like, WordPress is easy. Just create a post or a page. And a beginner is like, I don't know what either of those are. Like, you need what? Um, and the same thing is with the program. You're like, well, with an if statement, and you're like, you got to back up. <laughs> you can't start with if statement. So Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. A very... Um a very informative moment in my life was when I was in law school, I clerked for a federal judge. I had a, like an internship where I went and worked for the judge and uh, federal judges have a lot of cases and they have to decide a lot of things. So people submit briefs to them and the job of the clerks and the interns is to review the briefs and make, you know, to advise the judge of their opinions and summarize and kind of, I mean, we don't decide for the judge so much as we kind of like filter things down for the judge. And it was interesting to me because I remember the first day I was there, I'm a wet behind the ears law student in, you know, a suit that doesn't fit me (laughs) sitting in the back room of the federal courthouse. And somebody submitted a brief to me and there were two briefs. There was one from a lawyer and it was a big fancy bankruptcy case, multi-million dollar hotel going bankrupt. And there was one attorney that submitted a brief that went straight to the most obscure bankruptcy issue you've ever heard of. And there was another one who wrote the brief starting with the basics, you know, saying, you know, this is why, and this is blah, blah. And he just built his case up to that point. And I remember how convincing his brief was to me compared to the other guys. So much so that I had to stop and say, wait, 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 don't, don't, you know, don't rule in this guy's favor just because <laughs> he did a better job briefing. You got to go do the homework for the other guy. But, yeah. but it was the lesson for me. It's like, okay, when you want to convince somebody of something or when you want to teach somebody something, make it easy for them and they will go with you. And that was like a kind of a hallelujah moment for me when I learned that. And uh, it, it's always stuck with me. Yeah, I I love that. Make it easy for them and they will go with you. I, I absolutely love that because... um. You're right. You don't want, you know, it's like, it's like how they talk about, they um, talk about how when you make a, 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 write a test, you never start with the hardest question, right? Because the, the test taker will get discouraged and they will probably do poorly, even if they know the information, because you're starting them off super hard, warm them up with a couple of easy ones and then hit them with the, the important stuff. I wish my teachers knew. You. <laughs> uh, me too. I've taken too many. I've taken like programming tests. I have a master's in software engineering, and I've taken tests for programming courses where they the teacher had me write code like on the paper, and I'm like, nobody writes code like this. Like, why? Why do I have to do it this way? But uh, that was years ago, and I'm here now. Uh, <laughs> so. I, I remember in law school once, one of the teachers like had the the test on the board behind the. The drop down. He lists the drop down. The questions in Latin. I'm like, are you kidding wow. me? Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <sighs> well, luckily for your students and mine, hopefully we've we've learned from the good lessons and the bad. Um, yeah. And so once you have your outline, you uh, you start to shoot videos. Do you do you script your videos or do you just kind of have some talking points? What do that What does that look like? It just depends. I mean, and actually, the the process has changed over the years. At this point, I have actually two people helping me. Uh, one person is a really smart um, video editor, and um, and the other one is just kind of she helps me out with all the admin stuff. And so they're kind of on the team, and we set up a base camp for the project where I can start kind of giving stuff out to people to do. And I also use a web service called Airtable. Mm. And the outline gets reduced to an Airtable outline for the whole, you know, the course. Nice. 
which it doesn't necessarily stay from day one to day end. It doesn't say the same. It's, it's a little dynamic, but in general, you know, I have the sections and the video titles, and then we have a ways to keep track of the status and if there need to be attachments and is the closed captioning done and, you know, all the various little bits and pieces of each video. So that's kind of the status board of the project. So uh, as I work through it, I can, and send things to the editor, I can mark it and the, Airtable for him, and that he can see that he's got stuff coming in, and then we can also, you know, do things like artwork and uploads, and you know, kind of admin stuff gets managed on the base camp. So I kind of put all that structure in place, and then I just start shooting videos. I don't script them out to answer your question, though. I I do outline them in detail, but I don't script them. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that I, that's. Um... I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm I have a hard time scripting because I I feel like I sound very robotic. Um, so your your air, so you said you have Basecamp and Airtable. Uh, I started yeah. using Airtable uh, in part because I think you might have met you and Rose might have mentioned it on the automators, um, and it's been a, a great even the free version has been uh, really great. So um, when you is do you use like the more spreadsheet view or I know they can you can create like Kanban views and stuff like that. I, I just use the spreadsheet view, but we have different views. Like we'll have a view for the whole course and we'll have a view for stuff on the editor and stuff that I need to make revisions. And, you know, we you can create different views within Airtable, even with the free version. Yeah. So, and we all just kind of click through whatever view we need to see for what we're doing and allows me to kind of see the overall status of the project and, you know, where everything is. So that's something I find really useful. Nice. And then when you when you shoot the videos, um, uh, are you using something like ScreenFlow or just QuickTime uh, since you have a video editor now? Oh, no. Yeah, I guess I should be clear. I yeah. do the edits. Oh, okay. The video editor um, checks the edits. You nice. know? <laughs> I mean, I can't have it, it, you know, getting professional people, they, you know, it, it's money. Yeah, yeah you for know? Sure. And I don't make so much on these things I can just like hand everything off but the yeah. uh, I, I do the edits but I have an editor that goes through and checks the edits and he always makes them better he does little edits and makes them better and he also uh, the guy who's, he's been a guest on Mac Pairs it's JF Brissett I don't know if JF wants me to give his name out but I just did <laughs> but the uh but he uh, he's a very smart Apple guy too so he'll sometimes say oh I'm not did, you know the way you said that I don't think that's really clear and I mean, that's frankly the biggest value to him is just having him critique what I say. Um, but he also, you know, keeps me honest if there's anything wrong with the edits and, and he can, and he does fixes and he's a master at audio. So like I, he always processes the audio to make me sound a little better too. So it's just, it's just great having somebody else look at things. Yeah, I, I shipped a field guide at one point and there was like a couple errors in a couple of videos. Even though I had played them for friends, even though I had watched them, I realized, you know what? I just need to pay somebody to watch these and make sure that we get them right. You know, I don't want them, you know, shipping with problems again. Yeah, for sure. I know there's, uh, I, I discovered very similar value. I hired a video editor for my last course and um, the things that he can do quickly that I can't do at all uh, has been hugely helpful. And um, actually, one thing that I uh, I do with my own videos, because I like to switch between like camera view and slides, right? Um, yeah. Is I use a, a stream deck for that. Uh, so that I think you have a stream deck. So I use the stream deck yeah. for that. Um, and uh, that way I don't have to like give him notes on like where to insert slides or like do like awkward transitions between different windows or, or things like that. And that has, that has really cleaned up the editing process for him. So now all he really has to do is color correct. And if I mess up, I clap my hand so he knows to edit at that point. And, yeah. um, you know, he pumped out like two and a half hours of video for me for much less than it would have cost me at my own hourly rate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, so I do the edits in ScreenFlow. I mean, most of mine are very screen intensive. I I go on camera once in a while, but not a lot because the stuff I'm teaching is really about stuff that happens on the screen. Yeah. And for Mac stuff, I do it in ScreenFlow. And if you want to take another hour, I could tell you what's great about ScreenFlow and what's terrible about it. I use it (laughs) a lot. Um, And there are both, (laughs) but the, Mm -hmm. um, 
But the, uh, and then for iOS, like iPad and iPhone, I actually just record those directly into QuickTime. Or even now, I'm sometimes using the built-in recording feature on those devices, depending mm-hmm. on what I'm doing. Um, because I don't trust ScreenFlow to reliably capture those. <laughs> to, they, they have a thing where you can plug it in, but yeah. sometimes it starts and you'll be looking at the device and you record a 15-minute recording, you'll look up and it stopped recording at like two minutes in and you didn't realize it. Oh, that's You want to throw your know. iPad through a window. <laughs> yeah, so I've used that for like YouTube videos, but I was going to use it in another course I'm working on, but that's good to know. I, I will heed your advice on that. <laughs> yeah, so the trick there, record into QuickTime and then take the QuickTime video and just drag it into ScreenFlow. And you can make it, you can still use ScreenFlow for all the cool editing and mm-hmm. stuff, but just don't um, do the raw recording into ScreenFlow. Gotcha. And and then with QuickTime, so the device is plugged into your machine and you could still do the VO on your fancy mic and all that stuff? Yeah, exactly. Today's episode is brought to you by Smile and their product, Text Expander. Save time typing and boost your productivity with Text Expander. You know I'm all about automation and Text Expander is a great way to get started with automation. It allows you to create your own snippets for repetitive text you tend to use everywhere. Add the text, create a snippet, and boom, save precious time and keystrokes. One of my favorite snippets is for my address. So instead of typing out my full address and risking typos, I simply type dollar sign A-D-D-R and Text Expander does the rest, filling in my full address for me. I also have snippets for my street, my city, and my zip code. But that's not all Text Expander does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is when I type PPT. That will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it to plain text. So I'm no longer fighting formatting when I copy from a Word document, a Google Doc, or a plain HTML page, like a website. I also use it for common links, email messages, which I can completely customize with fill-ins and drop-down menus, and even date calculations. I'm currently writing a book, and Text Expander has been instrumental with that. Text Expander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. So pretty much anywhere you do computing. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or automation in general, now's the time. As a listener, you can get 20% off your first year. Just visit textexpander.com podcast and let them know how I built it sent you. That's textexpander.com podcast for 20% off your first year. And now back to the show. So I actually do have a question about something I've noticed in ScreenFlow, but ScreenFlow support makes it seem like it's only my issue. Do you have trouble with 4K? Have you noticed trouble with like 4K video? Do you shoot in 4K? No, I I put everything out as 1080 because it's going to stream. Gotcha. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And for the stuff I'm doing, 4K is too much for the kind of videos I do. But but that wouldn't surprise me that they have trouble with 4K. My yeah. my big, if you want me to, here's here's yeah. my one line. If ScreenFlow is listening, and they know this because I've told them, <laughs> the application does not render wave files 100% of the time. Mm. Have you ever... I'm I'm totally getting into the weeds here, but like when you make a video, like think about iMovie. You look, yeah. you see the wave file of the sound, right? Yeah. You see the the, the little bars showing it yes. when the person was speaking. Well, I use you talked about hand clips. I use mouth clicks. I click my tongue. Yeah, and I click it between one and four times. Each thing means something different. But when I'm doing the nice. edits, I can just look for the clicks and then, but the waveform doesn't render properly, and that makes me insane. That's it. Yeah. So I'll I, leave that. I will, if ScreenFlow is listening, I will echo that because I find that when I'm editing, then if I'm watching it in real time, which I usually am, I, I don't usually scrub through because I will absolutely miss something. Um, I have to like start and stop the video to get the waveform to render properly if I want to watch it in real time. So, like, yeah, there's that too. Yeah. There's that too. So, uh, yeah, 100%. Um, and then, like, if you, 
Yeah, well, I don't want to turn this into a screen flow gripe fest, yeah, but I I, I feel you stop. there. <laughs> it's like, yeah. next year, make a $100 upgrade and fix that one thing, and I will buy it. <laughs> awesome. Um, Nothing else, just yeah, fix that. Just that one thing. Um, fantastic. Uh, all right, well, we are, so, wow, I've asked a lot of questions, and we're coming up on time here. I want to be mindful of your time, of course, but... Um, so let's kind of uh, quickly go through the the publishing process. You have your videos, you've edited them, your editor looked at them, and you use Teachable, which is all in one, right? They host the videos and you can set the pricing there and all that fun stuff, right? Yeah, so they take care of all that. They even collect the uh, the VAT tax for you. And nice. they, it's been, it's you know, I, I, I haven't looked at the other competitors since I started using teachable. There are little things I don't like about it, but they're pretty responsive to me. I'm always sending them emails asking for additional features. And I think they're trying as much nice. as they can. Nice. I, mean, I ask for a lot, but the, uh, but I, I feel like it's been a, a pretty good platform for me and you know, it's great. I get, you know, I don't have to give a percentage to anybody now. I get to keep the money for the stuff I sell. Um, some other production stuff I do at the end is I have a company that I hire to go through and create, create closed captioning for all my videos. Okay. And I, um, I put those on the files. Um, uh, over the years, I had, because I make all of my videos downloadable. Once again, I don't want to be hostile to my customers. If right. someone buys a field guide, I want them to be able to consume it either streaming or download. And I get a lot, a lot of people emailing and saying, well, I want one download for all of them. Well, the problem is they're like eight gigabytes or 10 right. gigabytes of video. So so what I've done recently is now at the end of the course, I will put in combined videos for easier download. So yeah. basically, usually it's every section of the course you can download as an individual video. And that way, like if people are getting on an airplane to go on vacation or whatever, they can just download the video, the combined videos. Um, another thing I've started with the most recent one, I haven't got this, it's in the photos course it isn't any other courses yet, but um, is I'm taking the closed captioning transcriptions and I'm combining them into PDF and EPUB books. So oh, it's wow. not really writing a book, it's the transcription of my video, but yeah. some people want that, so I'm making that available too. I, I think if you're going to publish stuff and sell it on the internet, you should make it as easy as possible for your customers to get what they want. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, and that's, that's such a great idea. Um, I am... Uh, admittedly, I, I lag behind a little bit on the captioning and, and transcripts of my videos. Uh, I make sure to have transcripts for all the podcasts, but uh, just like an, an ebook, it, that I mean, like a, a PDF of the transcripts. That sounds really great because then, even if you watch the course, you can go, "Oh, I, you know, he said something at some point." You could maybe search the PDF for that specific moment. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so. So, David, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Uh, I, I want to ask you um, if you have a a trade secret for us or tips for the listeners on if they want to start uh, creating their own field guides or online courses. I think the thing you have to do, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that's free. You know, you go like YouTube and, but a lot of it, some of the YouTube creators are amazing. Some of them are garbage. <laughs> if you're going to make something you're going to sell, you need to make it outstanding. You have to be willing to do that if you're going to charge people money for it. And the other thing is, if you're going to sell things, you need to have a relationship with your customers. And I try to give away a lot. If you go on learn.maxsparky.com, about half of the courses are free. And I want that. That's intentional. I want people to not feel like every time they hear from me, I'm asking for money, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and that, I don't know if that's smart or not. And I haven't really talked to people who are savvy on marketing, but um, I feel like I want to be someone that gives you a lot of free stuff, but occasionally make something spectacular. And if you want to buy it, you can. And, and so I guess my advice would be, you know, make great content and be willing to give away some stuff. I love that. Make great content and be willing to give away some stuff. Uh, I think that's a, a good model. I try to, well, I don't know if I do it as effectively, but um, it's, I think that's so important, especially having the relationship with your customers, right? You mentioned um, that MPU is a good source or your podcast in general are a good source of connecting with your customers. I know that you are one of like a handful of people that uh, have like very active forums that aren't on some other social media platform. So uh, kudos yeah. to you for that too. I think that's super cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the Mac Power Users Forum is like an entity into itself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we moved off Facebook onto Discourse several years ago. Everybody told me that was a mistake and it's turned out to be really great. So awesome. Well, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, uh, David, I appreciate your time. Where can people find you? Just go to MaxSparky.com and there's links there to all the field guides. Um, if you really want a field guide, go to learn.maxsparky.com and you can get one there. Um, the, um, and then my podcasts are also linked at maxsparky.com, but there's three of them. There's the Mac Power Users, um, which is about Apple technology and getting more out of it. There is the Focus Podcast, which is about trying to stay focused, which I think is the superpower of this age. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is called Automators which is the stuff that's too nerdy to go on Mac Power Users. <laughs> and they're all on Relay.fm. Awesome, yes. And I will link to all of that and uh, uh, more, including interviews with both Mike and Steven, uh, the founders of Relay, on the show notes over at howibuilt.it. David, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. It's, it's been my pleasure. And, and keep doing this uh, great show. I really like it. Thank you very much. Thanks so much to David for joining me today. I really, really loved our conversation. And then uh, after we ended the recording, we had a nice chat about Star Wars Clone Wars, which I just finished. And uh, well, he was absolutely right. It was the last four episodes were amazing. Uh, I love that he went through his tools. I knew a lot of his tools already. I listened to all of his shows, but uh, just getting to ask him direct questions about how certain things work and uh, a little gripe fest about ScreenFlow. I'm glad I'm not the only one who uh, experiences problems there. So uh, I love his trade secrets about how there's a lot on the internet for free. And if you're going to make something to sell, you need to make it outstanding and you need to have a relationship with your customers. All of those things are worth repeating. So thanks again to David for joining me, for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to me and to talk to us. Uh, If you want to learn more about David Sparks and see all of the tools that he's using, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash 186. Thanks so much to this week's sponsors. They are Yes Please Coffee, iThemes, and Text Expander. They help me run my business from the very first sip of coffee in the morning through the night by keeping my sites safe and secure. And like I said at the top of the show, if you want to get insights, content updates, and takeaways from this very show, you can sign up for the Build Something Weekly newsletter over at howibuilt.it slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something.